fans, welcome to episode 24 of the official Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club podcast, bringing you all the latest news, updates, and buzz surrounding your mighty JSU Tigers. I'm your host, the Corey C., along with Charles Bishop. Be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast. Apple users, rate and review the show. And everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk 1400 on Twitter. It all helps the cause, which is the I love, Jackson State University. Joining us today is NBA TV analyst, NBA.com writer, and most importantly, Jackson State University alumnus, Sekou Smith. Welcome to the show, Sekou, and thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, fellas. Always glad to uh, join some some Tigers, man, anyway. Absolutely. And then how, how are things going in, in your short hiatus, your short break that you have with the NBA right now? Short? Oh, man, it feel, <laughs> I feel like it's been six months. Um, <laughs> you know, and I was on the air the night that the uh, the season got suspended, myself and Sam Mitchell. And, I remember. Uh, wow. Yeah, like we, we – I was watching. We literally heard about it 10 minutes before we walked out on the set. So we went from thinking, you know, do a night, but I think it was like eight games that night. And, uh, you know, five minutes into the show, we had to talk about the season being suspended and kind of, you know, where we would go from there. We had no idea what kind of shutdown, like for the whole world, but for right. the league, you know, for the NBA to, to shut down like that, that night, man, it was, it was stunning. I, you know, I drove home that night kind of just wondering, like, you know, what's, what comes next and uh every day i wake up it's groundhog day man i'm like I, you know is this really going on because i've never seen anything like this in my life you know a global pandemic choking the world like it is right now right and the ripple effect that it's had on so many things man it's just unprecedented and uh so we definitely want to get into all that but first we want to talk to you about jackson state that's you know, we have all the Tiger fans listening and, uh, you know, again, we're excited to have you on. So one thing that I like to ask people, because obviously you're from Michigan, right? Yeah, Grand Rapids, Michigan is my hometown. Okay, so when we have people from other parts of the country who uh, make their way down to tiny Jackson, Mississippi. I always like to know what led you there. How did you know about Jackson State and why did you choose Jackson State? Man, it's, it's funny. Um, one of <laughs> one of my best friends growing up, uh, his his uncle. Um, and his whole family, um, they're from Clarksdale. Um, and his, the man's name was Fred Montgomery, passed away. You might know his daughter, uh, Nanetta Montgomery, who went to school okay. with us. Um, he was he was a huge influence on a lot of kids from, from my hometown, uh, matriculating to Jackson State. Man, he was always in your ear about JSU when you were growing up. Like, even if you didn't know where it was, if you didn't have relatives, nothing that knew about it. Mr. Montgomery was always talking up Jackson State, and um, so my his his nephew, who was one of my best friends, a guy named Jesse Bates, who actually went to JSU for a couple of years before I got there. Um, he was the one who was always telling me about Jackson State and how how live it was and just how different it was from where we grew up. And uh, I kind of got my interest peaked, and. And once he he started putting that thing in my ear and telling me about <laughs> high noon on a Friday, you know, when the, when the weather is good and all the girls come out, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm I'm playing this over in my head and thinking how crazy it must be. And then when I actually saw it, it was even better than I realized. Just all these black folks, all on you know, concentrated in this one spot. Um, man, it took me about three seconds to sign. I'm <laughs> like, sign me up. I'm ready. And 
really, it, I think about all the people from Grand Rapids who came down there around the same time or after I did. It's staggering, man. Graylin Pratt, who you guys know, was a quarterback at JSU. Right. Um, Donald Suber, um, you know, Randy Sally, Stephanie. There's like four or five football players at once that came down. Davenport, uh, Marquise mm-hmm. Large. I mean, I could, the names, I could go on and on. People from my hometown um, who who found their way to Jackson, man, and loved it and and had some of our best years on campus down in Jackson. Yeah, definitely a pipeline from Michigan to Jackson. I don't know what it is about that, you know, that connection, but it's definitely there. I think it's just, you know, once you hear about it, time, think about the night that, you know, in the early 90s, the idea of going to an HBCU was was everything, man. You know, we were all, everything looked like, you know, different world. You watch it on TV every Thursday night. So my interest was peaked even before I got to Jackson. I was already thinking that's the avenue I wanted to, to go down, man. And Jackson State turned out to be everything I wanted to be and more. All right, and I was going to ask you about your adjustment, but it sounds like you adjusted pretty pretty uh, seamlessly. But what was that initial adjustment like being in Mississippi, uh, coming from up north? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't adjust immediately, man. Like, don't get it twisted. It was that first semester. Oh my gosh, uh, man. My parents. I'll never forget. My parents. We uh, we we flew like to Birmingham, I think it was, and then drove over from Birmingham to Jackson. Um, when they moved me into Dixon Hall on the seventh floor, the the bathroom window was busted out. It was all these giant crickets or something like all over the bathroom. I mean, it was my mom didn't even <laughs> want to let me stay. She's like, "Nah, baby, you gonna you know, like I'm not not leave my baby down here." You know, my my dad was like, "Oh, he gonna have to stay. Like we, we ain't bringing this boy and all this stuff back home." <laughs> and uh, man, I it just I got lucky. Seventh floor of Dixon Hall. I met some of my best friends I've had in life since then. Uh, my best. friend you know, Brandon Barklow, um, Daniel Edmond, all my all my guys who are George Levy, all my closest friends at JSU remain, you know, my closest friends to this day. And, uh, man, I, I had to carry a towel around with me the first two months. Cause oh, I yeah, not, that weather I, adjustment. Bro, I did not know what a heat index was. I'm walking around. <laughs> I've been short, and this is you. <laughs> Stand next door to me wearing cross colors, long sleeve shirt and pants, and and I'm like, <laughs> I'm sweating like I just got to run the marathon. He ain't got no moisture on it. I'm like, how is this possible? Like, you know, my whole body had to get adjusted to the climate in Mississippi. It was it was a hell of an adjustment, um, but the the richness of people, the diversity of black folks from all over the world, like you know, we had a dude from Alaska, Hawaii. Um, you name it. I met people, you know, students from everywhere my first few weeks in Jackson, man. And I was like I said, I was hooked. Whatever the whatever adversity we we met, that that was far outweighed by the fun I was having. I was just eager for a, a new experience and to be away from home and to see how, you know, I could change in that next phase of my life, man, going from high school to college. I was I was eager for it. So, Seku, once you got acclimated, what was it like for you not only uh, on campus but also living in Jackson as a whole? So my my time, you know, once I got comfortable and in my major in mass communications, man, Jackson became, uh, you know, my second home. Like, I I started working for uh, the Clarion Ledger 
my second year, I started covering high school games, small college games. Um, Eric Stringfellow, rest his soul, was was a adjunct professor at the time, and he was looking for some students to come down and and get their feet wet at the paper, at the newspaper. So I was all for it, man. And before I was finished, you know, in school, I had I had eighty two counties in the state of Mississippi, or at least through them, um, covering high school games, covering college for the Clarion Ledger. Um, it was invaluable experience, but it was also an unbelievable ride, man, for me to go corner of that state, uh, a state that my dad was born in. My dad was born in Tupelo, but he left when he was a young boy, like six, seven oh, wow. years old. Yeah. And, um, man, before I left Mississippi, I met relatives that I didn't know I had. Um, got a chance to see where my grandmother was from, the small town, Palmetto, Mississippi, where she was <laughs> born wow. and raised, where, where my grandfather was from. It was it was a history lesson and life lessons and, and a chance to meet relatives and friends that, you know, you, you never would have have had had you not taken that leap and, and gone away from school. It was, I'll never forget when I used to drive to and from school, it was 1,081 miles from my driveway to the campus. I mean, I knew exactly how many miles it was wow. to get back and forth. And uh, it, it was a road well-traveled, and, I, and I, I don't regret one second of it. Say cool, you know, during the time you were there uh, at Jackson State, and you mentioned you started at the Clarion Ledger uh, your sophomore year at Jackson State, but you covered some great uh, football players who went on to the NFL uh, as as well as NBA players. But just talk about some of the guys that you covered while you were there at Jackson State. Oh, man. Um, gosh, you, you think about that era in Mississippi and basketball and uh, – Good friend of mine, Todd Kelly, to this day, he worked at the Clarion Ledger. He was covering high schools. He and I, you know, collaborated on a lot of recruiting coverage. Um, the All-State teams, the Dandy Dozen. Uh, so anybody that was on the Dandy Dozen in football or basketball from 1994 until 2001, I'm, I probably took their picture, wrote the story about them, covered them, got to know them, uh, got to know their family. In, every, in both sports. At all levels, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. The funny thing to this day, Alistair, Mario Hagan, who played at Mississippi State in the NFL, um, they still salty to this day that they didn't make the dandy dozen. Every, <laughs> oh yeah, every every Deuce time definitely. I see Deuce, man, he lets me know that he, you know, he will never forget that we left him off the dandy dozen. I don't know if y'all know this. Deuce's older brother went to JSU with us. He was on oh, campus yeah. when we were there. I, I, I met him and got to know him. And um, he used to always tell me his little brother was rugged. He was like, man, my little brother's a good player. And we, we went over and watched him his junior year at uh, when he was playing in Morton. But he didn't have, like, a monster junior season. So we didn't put him on a Danny Dozen. Our mistake, he ends up, of course, turning into one of the all-time great football players that have come through the state of Mississippi. But, um, you know, you live and you learn. But it, it was football, basketball, man. Like, I got a chance to Bender when he was, you know, a, right. a sophomore in high school, um, you know, you name the, the player, they were coming up through the ranks while we were there. I remember seeing Mo Williams when he was in ninth grade, and mm -hmm. everybody from her was telling me he was a better football player and baseball player than he was a basketball player. And I ended up seeing him years later in the NBA. So it's Mississippi's tradition in, in the lineage of superstar athletes to me is, is so mind-boggling when you think of the quality of athlete 
that has come through a state with so few people. Um, somebody should be, I don't know, maybe I should be doing it. Maybe we should all, we, somebody should be writing that book. I agree. Because there's no logical explanation for that much talent per capita to be pumped out of that state. It's just, it's remarkable. And while you were on campus, there were some pretty good athletes, you know, at Jackson State as well. You know, we're talking about Lindsey Hunter, uh, Ryan Lothridge, uh, you know, Whitfield, a bunch of guys who went on to the NBA and even some guys who went on to the NFL. At that time, did you realize how much talent there was on campus? Yeah, I did actually, man. And Lindsey, you know, Lindsey's a good friend of mine. Um, we got, you know, we got to know each other later much better when he we, he was in the league and I was covering the NBA. Um, Lindsey, man, like Sean Woodson. Um, who was a great football player at JSU, was a guy I met when I was, you know, first hitting campus. Um, we had two first-round draft picks, and Sylvester Morris and Rashard Anderson. I tell people that now, they look at me sideways like, right. Jackson State? <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, bro. 2000. I was like, I'm like, bro, we had we had some monsters on that campus. Um, it goes on and on. Like, the number of outstanding players we had come through those programs back then, man. I, I, I hate that it's not at that level now because the, the kids who go there now, and I got two, my two oldest kids are, are students at JSU now. They okay. don't, they have no comprehension of the quality uh, of the sports programs when we were there. It was, it was a different world. Wow. And I'm, I never forget when I saw I saw Newbury walking on campus, what like my freshman year, my first year, <laughs> and people, and he was from like y'all know who I'm talking about. He uh-huh. he was from Michigan. He's like six six, you know, two ninety, and he was uh, you know ticketed, went straight to the NFL, and people were talking about him. I was like, we got dudes like that on campus, and I saw him one day, and he looked like a mutant man. He was humongous. I was like, I was like, yo, this is stupid. That there's that much <laughs> talent floating around this place, man. We had great, great players, man. Great, A great football program. They got a chance to watch Steve McNair shred us one time, you know, a couple uh-huh. times while I was in school. So it was... He had me crying in the stands. Yeah, man. It wasn't just us, but certainly Jackson State was at the head of the class if you think about the talent that was coming. But uh, yeah, it, it was magical, man. It was... I don't... I. It would be hard to capture that time again where you'd have that kind of talent on campus all at the same time. So, Sekou, uh, we just recorded an episode where we talked about the all-time greatest quarterback at J- in Jackson State history, and it was mm-hmm. very controversial. Oh, really? <laughs> a lot of okay. different opinions. Yeah. Uh, w- w- what's your take on that? Of all the quarterbacks, and we've had some great ones. So if you had to pick one, who would you, who would you go with? Yeah, that's tough. Look, I'm partial, man. I'm, I'm partial to Graylin Pratt uh, being a guy I, I watched when he was in high school. He's, you know, a little bit younger than me. Um but I, you know, I got a chance to watch his whole career at JSU, and I know there are other guys who maybe have bigger numbers. I know Robert Kent put up some crazy numbers. Um, I covered him when he was in high school, and then watched him, you know, come to Jackson State and, and light it up. And there were some great quarterbacks, obviously at JSU. But for my time, for you know, for my lifetime, and the guys I got a chance to see, Graylin was just—he was the quintessential college football quarterback to me in terms of a guy who made all the throws was a leader um you know was a stand-up cat and was the guy who helped his teams win and win big I, I love that his career you know unfolded the way it did and uh, he was a great high school football player in the state of Michigan by the way like I was when I heard he was going to Jackson State I was scratching my head I was like wow Jackson State got him right because I, I remember people talking about he was an all-state quarterback 
I was figured he'd go to, you know, Michigan State, you know, somewhere in the in the Big Ten or somewhere in the Midwest. For him to come to JSU and then ball out the way he did, man, it's, it's pretty impressive. You, you know, say cool, and, and you mentioned Graylin, and, and Graylin was a name that that that, that came up. But uh, wh- why do you think kind of Graylin kind of gets lost in the mix uh, of talking about the, the greatest of all time of Jackson State quarterback? I think part of it is measurables. You know, Graylin wasn't six four. You know, and had this rocket arm. Um, you know, he didn't have that kind of physical um, profile. So he doesn't. He might not stand out to everybody in terms of how he looked when he was out there playing. But if you go back and look at his numbers, the winning there and the playmaking he did, man. And Graylin is one of these guys that he was born to be a quarterback. I don't care how tall or short he would have been. From the time I saw him when he was in high school, I watched. I was home and watched him play his senior year. They had a playoff game in East Lansing when he was in high school, um, and then to see him at JSU, and he was a playmaker. He was like a a six foot, you know, dual threat quarterback before we even called him dual threat quarterbacks. And um, he just had a knack for the game, man. He was an absolute natural slinging the football, running the show. And, uh, I, you know, to watch him do that at JSU was impressive. But I think another thing that, that hurt Graylin in the eyes of a lot of fans is Graylin wasn't from Mississippi. He wasn't from down south. So he didn't have kind of that uh, – intrinsic following of people who had seen him play in high school or watched him become a schoolboy legend somewhere in Mississippi or Alabama or Louisiana. He was, he was, uh, you know, coming from a completely foreign place for a lot of fans being from, from Michigan. Right. Now, Seiko, you mentioned uh, about working, obviously you worked for the Clarion Ledger, but you mentioned that you started while you were already a student at Jackson State. I think it was your sophomore year, you said? Yeah, man, it was the, uh, my, the start of my sophomore year, end of my, my first year at JSU, um, I kind of dipped my toes in a little bit. And, you know, the, the blue and white flash graciously allowed me to write some stuff, um, you know, while I was there. The community paper, the West Jackson Journal, while I was there, just a student-run paper, like kind of a bootleg operation where we just said we wrote whatever we wanted, which was fantastic. But the Clarence Ledger was my first, you know, big-time professional a sports writing job where I was, you know, published on a regular basis out to the masses, man. And it was, it was great because I got a chance to cover everything. You know, I, you know, I got my feet wet looking at Brian Darden and, and you know, Warren Central and the monster teams they had. I got a chance to cover Amory when they had those monsters. Rufus French. Provine was a powerhouse back then. Um, Fred Smoot was, was on Provine's team. He's a 10th grader when I met him. A uh, guy that went on to play you know, big years at Mississippi State, and then obviously with the Redskins in the NFL. It was just a – you couldn't have asked for a better training ground as a journalist, man, to go around that state and to cover the sports I did. And the college was great. They allowed me to do any and everything, um, colleges, pros, preps, you know, you name it. I did it while I was there. So I got my feet wet doing some of everything during my time at the Clarence Ledger. And um, I couldn't have asked for a better training ground just as a young journalist to be able to – to experience as many things as I did. And where did that, that passion for sports and writing come from? How did that all start? It's, it's funny, man. So where I'm from, we're like um, kind of in the middle between Chicago and Detroit. So when I was a kid, my dad was a voracious 
you know, newspaper reader. We used to get our local hometown paper, the Grammar's Press, and then we get both Detroit papers, both Chicago papers would come to the house. Or he would always have copies of the daily newspapers from different uh, publications. So he would leave them on our kitchen counter. We had an island in our kitchen when I was growing up. And he would just leave the papers on the counter. So when he got done with them, I would come downstairs. And this is from the time I was like nine, ten years left from college. Um, I would come downstairs and just thumb through the papers, reading the sports sections and all those papers. So I grew up knowing exactly what a news story and a sports story and a feature story, all that stuff was supposed to look like. I didn't, I didn't know that I would end up doing this for a living, but I had a deep, deep background as a reader of the news and of, and of those sports pages and newspaper pages growing up, man. And my, my dad's middle brother, had his own newspaper in our hometown. It was a black newspaper called The Organizer. And I used to throw it. I, me and some of my cousins, we used to be his, you know, that we were his crew. We were his street team. We'd go out and throw the newspaper, in the, you know, in the, in the neighborhood on the weekends. Um, so I had ink on my fingers from the time I can remember. It just, the fact that I would get to Jackson and, and kind of rekindle that passion was, was pure happenstance. It was just pure luck. I say, cool. Obviously, right now, Jackson State doesn't have a beat writer from the Clarion Ledger. And, you know, me growing up, I always look forward to reading those Mark Alexander articles. And, you <laughs> That's know, my man, you Mark guys Alexander. Had a, yeah. Yeah, Mark, <laughs> you guys had an all-star team with you. And uh, you mentioned Kelly, Ty Kelly. And, you know, obviously the high school guys with Bill Spencer. I mean, that again, that was an all-star cast at, at the Clarion Ledger. And nowadays, it's just not quite like what it was. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, and I know you're kind of on the outside looking in now, but what do you think kind of went wrong with, with that relationship? Or, or better yet, how can we repair that relationship with the Clarion Ledger just to get that beat writer back? And I know with the newspaper industry, just with the, you know, with how things are now, there's some struggles in, in that, uh, you know, in that industry. But what do you think can be done there? Well, I think part of it is, man, you just got to have somebody in there advocating for it um when i was at the paper um Derek mahone who who's who moved on and, and came back to his roots here in atlanta from the clan ledger was the was the beat writer for uh, jackson state and the swag and he was outstanding i mean and man we had rick cleveland was writing columns about mcnair and swag sports on the regular um so it was the the clan ledger was a different monster when i was there it was a much more robust and enterprise you know there were so many more resources being devoted to it back then i think part of the problem that's happened over the years is that the focus has shifted you know all those schools were battling for equal headlines all of those you know mississippi state Ole miss southern miss and then jsu all corner valley all of them were vying for headlines and all of them had golden eras in their sports you think about it when jerry really taught them with mississippi valley you know they they weren't hurting for coverage. Every, you know, people descending on them from around the country to write stories. Same goes for Alcorn when McNair was there. Um, JSU certainly had its heydays. Uh, you know, Walter Payton and all the Hall of Famers, we got to the company JSU. So there's been a different era when each of the schools, to me, had that kind of robust following. Now, if, you, if you're talking about just strictly a, a manpower personnel thing for the newspaper, they're going to they're gonna subject their resources to wherever the biggest interest is. And, you know, from a readership standpoint, the, the, you know, the interest is on those SEC schools, not Southern Miss, if you ask me. Uh, and the Hattiesburg American being a part of the chain allowed them to, to kind of shift that coverage off 
to the Hattiesburg American. But what really had to happen was, man, there had to be some sustained excellence in the athletics at Jackson State in order to keep that pipeline going at, at you know, the Clarence Ledger. And, you know, Rod Walker came through the Clarence Ledger after I did. He's now in New Orleans, another one of our, uh, you know, great sports writers who come through the state of Mississippi. Right. Um, you know, and he and he advocated, obviously, you know, for that coverage like a lot of other people. Man, it's just tough. Newspapers have had to prioritize over the years. And unfortunately, the, the first thing to go is always the swag Wow. That's some, that's some great insight, but I know Tiger fans uh, and the administration, especially in the sports department, would love to get that coverage back. So we're, we're hoping for the best. Now, since then, you've gone on to do some great things, you know, since your time at the Clarion Ledger. Talk to us about your roles now with NBA TV and NBA.com. Yeah, it, man. I, so I, 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 I would have said the Clarion Ledger for the rest of my life. You know, um, my wife, she went to JSU with us. She's from Oklahoma, Mississippi. We, you know, I met her while I was in Mississippi. Um, so I could have stayed in Jackson for a long time and not, not batted an eye about it. But uh, I got an opportunity to leave and go to Indianapolis and cover the NBA. Um, and I had had other opportunities, many other opportunities to leave. You know, people tried to hire me way many times to go and work in different parts of the country. Nothing really struck me. It's like I, I was kind of intent. I was voting for the Heisman. Um you know, by the time I finished up the Clan Ledger in you know, in two thousand, uh, two thousand, I think two thousand and one, maybe spring two thousand and one, I, I had, I had really like maxed out what I could do at the Clan Ledger. They basically had to tell me, listen, we we love you, we appreciate you, but like if you want to, in your career, you're gonna have to leave here. You you kind of hit the ceiling. So, I I left to go to Indianapolis to cover the NBA, which hadn't been on my radar as a full time thing. I really college football has always been my favorite sport. It's always been the thing I've, I've kind of loved more than anything else to cover and to watch as a fan. Um, but the opportunity was great, you know, in Indianapolis to go and cover the Pacers. They were coming off a trip to the NBA finals. Um, the paper was pouring all kinds of resources into the NBA coverage. So it was great. It was a great time for me. Um, and the move, you know, back near the Midwest, closer to home, closer to a family. My parents were living in St. Louis at the time. They were like 220 miles door to door from from our house in Indy, and uh, it was just it was ideal, you know, to make that transition. In, I spent five years there um, covering the, the NBA and the Pacers. My last two months at the paper were the uh, the brawl at the at the Palace. I was there that night when that whole thing went down, wow. um, and then the Christmas Day game I covered. January 5th of 2005 is when I moved to Atlanta to cover the NBA here in Atlanta. And I've been here ever since. I worked for the AJC, for the Atlanta General Constitution for years. And then 2009, I, I went over and started working at Turner Sports uh, for NBA.com and NBA TV, man. And it's just been a, it's been a blur ever since. Like when I think about how much time has, tra- you know, it's transpired over all these years covering the league, I only feel old when, you know, some dude who I met when he was in high school is now retired and has got a kid that's, you know, coming up and getting ready to make the NBA. And I'm, I'm reminded right. of just how long I've been doing this, man. It's just crazy. Like, uh, you know, you, you start accruing so much time in this business 
and uh you know you start going through your phone and realizing how many people you've cross paths with man it's just you're just blessed to do it because I, there are right. a lot of good people i met over the years who were more talented than me um and and every bit as you know motivated as i was but they maybe just weren't as stubborn as i was like i refused to let anything knock me off this path and that's why i've been able to stay in this business so long you know um and i think you know sometimes you got to take that harder road if it doesn't happen for you right away, not everybody gets to be that kind of overnight success story. It took, you know, I spent a lot of years grinding, beat writing in the NBA, spending 150 nights a year on the road, you know, um, you know, cutting my teeth the hard way. And it, it's paid off now where I'm, I'm enjoying the job as much as I ever have now doing it at a place that I love that allows me so many freedoms and allows me to kind of exercise all my, my sports muscles, you know, TV, on my podcast, um, on NBA.com, writing, you know, interviewing people and, you know, being an analyst, everything. And you mentioned you were on set uh, NBA TV the night that the NBA suspended the season and, you know, other leagues started to kind of follow suit. And I think other leagues are kind of looking to the NBA to see if they'll be able to get back going as well. That may be an indication of, you know, whether the other sports can resume. And especially when we're talking about college football and Jackson State. So and I know there's it's complete uncertainty, but just looking through your crystal ball, mm-hmm. do you think the NBA will crown a champion this season? I do. And if so, how? Yeah, I do. And, and I hope. I'm hopeful that that it happens. I'm not here to, you know, get, make defender statements about what may or may not happen, but I certainly am hopeful that we get a chance to see it. I think the the NBA calendar, the way it runs deep into the summer, free agency and all that stuff, it will require some shifting, and it it certainly will require um, some unorthodox scheduling if you were to resume the season, you know, and how you might do that. No fans, you know, an abbreviated playoffs in terms of you know to the seven game series all the way through maybe you have to shorten the you know the, the series lengths early on something there'll be some adjustments that, that adjustments that have to be made but man there's so much motivation for everybody to get back after we fight through you know this coronavirus that i think everybody's gonna want to see some normalcy ba in the summer playoffs into the summer an NFL season, a college football season, in whatever shape, form we can get it, everybody's going to be rooting for that. It's now, you know, the science will dictate what happens. Obviously, we're not going. I don't think anybody's going to take any unnecessary chances with people's safety to to put a football or basketball game on. But I think there's motivation all around that we would see a resumption of an NBA season, and you know, the resumption of pro sports and college sports for sure. Um, by this fall. I can't imagine us getting into the early fall and not having it. So, cool. Let me, let me ask, um, as far as where we are right now with the NBA, uh, what, what do you think are some current issues, I guess, that are facing the NBA that uh, prior to this COVID crisis uh, that the league was going to have to seriously take a look at? You know, it's weird, Charles. We were in such a good space, too, in terms of the, the harmony that you see between the league and the Players Association. Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver did a fantastic job, you know, ironing out the details of the latest collective bargaining agreement. Everybody was smiling when, you know, when the money's coming in because the players are getting a huge chunk 
uh, you know, of the the revenue generated by the league. The owners, of course, are getting their share. Um, so weren't any labor strife or anything like that on the horizon. Um, you know, the, the free agent summer that we saw last year where there was all this movement and all this, you know, power shifting with players, you know, Kawhi Leonard, all these different Anthony Davis getting traded, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, all these superstar players moving around. That wasn't necessarily going to be on on radar this summer or next. You know, the Kumpo would be the, the biggest fish potentially in free agency over the next couple summers. And other than that, you wouldn't have a blockbuster free agent summer coming up anytime soon. Um, one thing that, that got scuttled this summer, and I'm, I'm still upset about it, um, you know, cause I was on my way to Tokyo to cover the Olympics and there was some business wow. that needed to be done by USA basketball and, and the, and the guys who would team this summer. Now that's been pushed back till 2021, but that was about the biggest um, piece of business that had to be done um, in terms of what was on the horizon and what was on the radar for the league to handle. The the USA basketball needed to go back and regain its place, you know, as the as the top dog. They took some lumps at the World Championships last year, um, but I'll be honest with you, man. When when we got the, the 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 two punches to the gut this year, you know, David Stern. Mm-hmm. Dying on on the second day of the you know of the year, and then Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven other people dying in a helicopter crash. You know, twenty some days later, that any anything that might have been viewed as strife that was coming up mellowed out based on mm-hmm. you know just the shock of of losing two iconic figures in the history of the game. Period of time, uh, we were. By All Star Weekend in Chicago this year, everybody was just starting to get their bearings, you know, after being knocked off, off our feet, you know, in in January. Um, and so then to have the season get, you know, interrupted the way it did with with this uh, coronavirus, man, it it just it was like a another haymaker in, in a rough, rough couple of months for the basketball world. And, you know, we never got a chance to recover from it. You know, we're now we're dealing with this latest uh, issue that, that we don't know where it leaves us for the future. And I don't know that we've, that as a league and as an ecosystem that we've healed from the loss of David Stern and Kobe Bryant just yet. All right. Well, Seiko, you know what, man, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, go ahead and plug anything that you're working oh, on or let the listeners know how they can, Reach your work or follow you on social media and definitely hear your podcast. Yeah, man, listen, I appreciate it. Um, always good to talk to you, brothers. You can find my podcast, the Hangtime Podcast, um, anywhere you, you download your, your podcast. Um, uh, and you can find it on, NBA, on NBA.com, as always. We, uh, we've been taping more than once a week during, during the shutdown. But, uh, man, we've had podcast here recently with Karan Butler, Cheryl Swoops, uh, Bill Walton. We, you know, we talked to any and everybody in the, in the basketball world and beyond um, on the hang time podcast. And you can always catch me on NBA.com where it is featured prominently the key MVP ladder is something I do all year round. It kind of stokes the flames about the MVP competition every year in the league. Um, and then when, when you tune in NBA TV, don't be surprised to see me. I'm 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 always there, um, going hard all 
all these years later and never I'm not slowing down. So I hope all you young folks out there getting into the business, <laughs> diving in, I'm I ain't giving up my spot. So you're gonna have to help, you're gonna have to box me out to get it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna keep doing this until till I can't do it anymore. And um, you know, but certainly on social media on Twitter, it's SAQ Smith NBA and uh, on Instagram it's SAQ three thousand. I'm I'm not as versed in Instagram as I probably need to be, but I'm a little more active on Twitter and social media things. I'm still working on that, but uh, you can always gotcha. find me in my links. I'm always linking the stuff on social media as well, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I'm a big NBA guy, and I, I tell you, man, whenever I'm uh, you know flipping through the channels, and I always, I always stop at on NBA TV, but it always puts a big smile on my face when I see you on that set. So even if I wasn't planning on watching that particular game, I always get y'all tuning in to catch you. So, yeah, man. I'm going to represent. Job. You know, I'm going to represent for JSU always, man. You know that. All right. And looking forward to seeing you back on there real soon. All right, fellas. I appreciate y'all. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank me. you. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club. Thank you to all of our listeners. And again, be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast. Apple users, rate and review the show. And everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and Tiger Talk 1400 on Twitter. Leave a question or a comment while you're at it, and we'll be sure to read it on air. I can't stress the importance of this enough. We're looking to do some big things with this platform to aid the athletics department. And it all starts with you downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. And tell every Tiger that you know. We're on all podcast outlets, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. And we'll be posting each episode on our Facebook and Twitter pages. As always, thank you for the support. Go Tigers!